Hi, everybody. Oh, that's a little crooked, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's just going to have to do what it does. Sorry about that. Yeah, you can see it's a little, a little crooked there. Um, well, just get used to it uh, for today anyway. You know what? Hold on. Is that better? Not really. No. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. Today is the 21st of October, 2021, and this is episode 91 of my live chat. I appreciate you joining me. As you can see here, there it is. Yes. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Thumbs up on the video if you haven't already. Uh, and the super chat is enabled. So we'll go for about an hour, and then I will get to your super chat questions with priority if you want to. If you don't want to, that's okay too. No hard feelings one way or the other, but I'm appreciative of everyone who likes to donate. So thank you very much for those who do. Okay, without further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? And there we are. Okay, um, hope you're doing well today. We'll probably get to what? Some weekend previews. Uh, this tilt is now killing me. There we go. That's a little bit better, right? Not not perfect, but better. Um, kind of use my feet there. Uh, we'll get to the Vittori, I'm sure, fight with Costa, if that fight even ends up happening. God, what a mess that is. We'll get to UFC 267, 268, whatever's on your mind. Whatever's on your mind. We'll get to that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be, uh, it'll be great. All right, let's turn this off. Right. Let's, Jesus Christ. I'm rusty. We didn't do this last week. I apologize because I was in Jersey City and uh, it was just too hard. There was, we had a full day of recording Thursday. There was really no time, but that won't be the norm. So, all right. Let's get to your questions. If we can, I will go and pull them up. Uh, as you guys know, every Wednesday, I put up a post on the community side of the uh, youtube.com slash Luke Thomas uh, channel. You guys fill it up with questions. You guys give them thumbs up or thumbs down, depending on what you want to hear. And then we get to them here. Uh, there's a bunch today, as a matter of fact. So I appreciate everyone who contributed. Folks always ask me, how can I contribute? How do I participate? That is how you participate. All right. First question. Here we go. Chael, the other day in a video, mentioned his WEC title fight where Filio missed weight. So despite winning, Chael was not crowned champion. On MK... You talked about whether the Whitaker versus Romero situation too. It made me think of when Figueredo beat Benavidez but missed weight, and yet the title was still up for grabs for Benavidez. How is that decided? That's a commission rule. That's not a UFC rule. So the commission decides that. If you are in a title fight and you miss weight and the fight goes forward, because by the way, they could scrap the whole thing. They obviously don't want to do that for the promoter and for the fighters themselves, but sometimes they have to. But in the event that they can move forward with it, where the weight miss was two or three pounds and whatever, someone was just unprofessional, what they'll do is they'll do the normal weigh-in docking for you. So if you miss weight, 20%, you have to give or 30%, depending on the state, to your opponent. You know, there might be some rules about how much you can rehydrate on certain schedules. All the things that you would normally face in that jurisdiction, uh, whether or not there was a title fight up for grabs. And you can still win the fight if you missed weight. You are not entitled to the title. Uh, and you might ask, well, what happens in situations like the Figueredo fight? Like, what does it make it look like? Because that, that was a vacant title, not one where Figueredo was taking it from Benavidez. Um, I don't think it was a similar situation, but Pride used to pl play around with champions taking non-title bouts in between title defenses. 
So you would have a chance. This is a true story. Like, for example, Takanori Gomi fought Marcus Aurelio, I think two, two, maybe even three times, but certainly twice, because Pride had scheduled it as a non-title bout, meaning the title wasn't up for grabs either way. And then Gomi got, I think not only lost, but I think he got finished. And then Pride was like, fuck. So they had to do it again. And maybe Gomi, I have to go back and check the records. And maybe he fixed it after that point. Maybe not. I don't remember. But I remember clearly what a goddamn mess it was at the time. You're asking about weigh-in misses and what happens then. I'm merely pointing out there there are a number of situations where you can get uh, somebody beating the champion and then the title is not conferred upon them either because Pride was booking non-title bouts or... um, situation like this where the champion could make weight and then lose the fight but not lose the title because the other person missed weight frankly i don't have any issue with it uh personally speaking you know i don't that doesn't bother me at all like if you can't make dude i'm sympathetic to people missing weight more than most i feel like i'm not i'm not saying that weight cutting is not a problem or that we shouldn't care about it or and i'm not saying any of those things but i'm not as personally bothered by it when guys miss weight Obviously, fighters can be very upset about it. I'm not here to tell anyone how they should feel about it. I'm merely telling you I don't get nearly as upset as a lot of other people do about weight cutting. But the one thing I will hold the line on for sure is if you want to win a title, you got to fucking make weight. I mean, it's just the most – I mean, please be serious. Like, Especially if you're good, right? If you really have a chance because you are going to have to put that title up for grabs for other people. And if you can't be trusted to make weight, what are we doing here, you know? So, uh, so yeah, that's how it's decided. It's a commission rule, but all the commissions would do it, basically. Look, you've given us your bench press P- lifetime PR, yes. Uh, can you tell us your squat and deadlift PR? Um, I mean, they're not great. <laughs> they're not. Like, I always tell you guys, I'm strong f- relative to an average person, right? To an average person, I'm strong as shit. To a strong person, I'm an average person. Right? I'm like the Jake Paul. <laughs> Remember my quote on Jake Paul? It's like, for a celebrity, he's definitely a very good boxer. Right, He can box for a celebrity. But for boxing, he's just a celebrity. Right, That's how, how it works. That's how I am with strength. For average donks, I'm strong as shit. For uh, strong people, I ain't strong. Uh, you know what? I'll, tell you, I'll, get, I'll make you a deal, though. Um. Let me I'm working on um how do I say this exactly? I have weigh-ins every Wednesday for this like path that I'm on this fitness path. And the last one went fucking great. Um really happy with the progress. Um you know, t- it was slow going at first. The the first 20 pounds took a while to get off. Um, but now stuff's starting to move a little bit, and I'm really happy about it. Let me get um, a little further where, you know, I feel like I just need to make a little health progress before I start dishing out how great my strength is. I mean, again, it's not that great, even relative to strong people. But um, I need to, I, I, just as a, for a, a matter of personal comfort, I want to reach some fitness goals first. But I will tell you, I'll tell you, and I have exactly what weight I have in mind. Um, so I'm not that far from it. So let me get down there a little bit, and we can talk about some of these things. I like to keep things a little bit uh, close to the vest. Not that I not that I care about sharing these numbers because they're not impressive, but um, I, I kind of have a little bit of personal pride that I need to. Uh, 
actions to put into place first. All right. Uh, hey, Luke, do you feel BJJ is sometimes a little culty? Fuck yes. Dude, it's like the cultiest of culty. Um, you obviously get the benefits of being able to defend yourself on the ground. Some of that, sure. As well as the joy of learning new skills. Absolutely, that part. And the drive to conquer new sets of challenges. Totally. However, when you listen to some BJJ aficionados, the emphasis seems to be on how BJJ makes you a better person, like they've somehow discovered the secret to being an all-around decent person because you ankle-pick the shit out of somebody. I'm in no way undermining the benefits of immersing oneself in the process of learning BJJ, but does it let off a certain culty vibe? Am I out of my death? Probably. Uh, greetings from Portugal. I hear Portugal is wonderful. I would love to go someday. Um... Yes, so this is definitely a problem. It's it, I have to tell you, like um, the more people ask me for life advice, I may have been a little bit premature about dishing it out. The as each day passes, I get a little bit more uh, um, reluctant to share anything. Like I don't have life figured out. I've gotten to certain levels of my professional endeavors that I could probably impart some best practices about what to do or what not to do. And um, some of those may prove valuable and some of them might not. Um, but I've probably given out all kinds of bad advice on this live chat. I, I really hate to admit that, but I'm sure that it is quite true, actually. Um, I try not to. I, I, I try to keep myself in check here as best I can, but that will fail, and I'm sure that it has. And I really want to be as careful as possible about what I recommend as behaviors outside of my general level of, um, I won't say expertise, but my professional endeavors. Um, because here's what I've discovered. Like Instagram has become intolerable for me. And, I, and I'm, yes, I'm old. Like I'm not the demo for Instagram, right? I'm not some 20 year old fucking, you know, I don't know, whoever, influencer who just, you know, loves sharing every portion of their life. I don't, I don't, I'm not that guy, but, um, you see this in like, in like fitness too, fitness and BJJ, what has ended up happening is to get to, let's say, a black belt in jujitsu. This is a very difficult thing to do. It requires on average, you know, as people say about 10 years, I've seen it as quick as four. I've seen it as long as like 13 or 14 years. You know, it takes a long time for certain people. It's a very, very difficult endeavor. And you really have to conquer a lot of things about yourself to, and, and the, and the, you have to understand your, yourself and you have to defeat the old parts of you to get to that limit like whatever you thought your limit was on what you could tolerate you must go past that and what success looks like and how uneven it can be where you have good days and bad days and good weeks and bad weeks good months and bad months sometimes good years and bad years I've seen guys race to brown belt and then spend like four or five years at brown belt sometimes because they got injured sometimes because sometimes life got in the way sometimes they just didn't have progress like it wasn't their progress is not always so it's 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 very jagged and uneven and i think when you accomplish anything that significant in your life you begin to feel like you have i don't know figured life out per se but figured out a lot what works for you and then i've kind of made the term here and this part i will hold true to because you just see it sort of repeated everywhere but like that this is how winning is done there are certain people who are so talented in this world or so lucky or some combination of both that they, they they just rock it to stardom in whatever their chosen profession may be. Um, but for most people, the accumulation of 
uh, the, the moments of success that you see are typically the accumulation of little tiny wins. I've made that argument before. That part is true. In fact, you see that, like, for example, people who are like weight loss gurus, they talk about, you know, having patience, the steady accumulation of very, very small increments of weight loss, weight loss over time that matters. You get a whole lot of weight. And then, of course, the point that you can keep it all off or building muscle, right? How all these different gurus. And you get these guys or ladies who conquer these fields and they begin to think that, like, the skills I apply to jujitsu must confer upon me the ability to have wisdom in an almost omni-competent way. I mean, they probably wouldn't articulate it that way, but that's the way in which like they have, they have conquered so many difficulties. They have gone through so many layers of self-discovery and they have had such success relative to their peers in this narrow, but very difficult endeavor that they believe it has conferred upon them um, this, you know, really detailed, rational insight about life that they merely applied to this, but they could use elsewhere. And in fact, that tends to not be true at all. Um, and you'll see this in, and you'll see this in a lot of occupations. This is hardly exclusive to jujitsu, but they're very, very, they're very, very, um, they're, they're very bad about it. They're very bad about it. I mean, nothing more, a dramatic example. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I, some of y'all just get routinely upset at this. I'm sorry, but it's just accurate. You know, the level of analytical skill that they can provide at, um, you know, understanding their craft. And then as it relates to, you know, uh, health protocols and vaccines, they end up going to clownpenis.fart for their information. And then they recycle absolutely non-rate garbage over and over and over again. I mean, disappointingly from people who I thought were quite rational, as a matter of fact, no, not even close. It doesn't actually confer wisdom about the world. It turns out if you want to know a lot about anything, whether it's how the government functions at a local level or a federal level, how vaccines work, how the supply chain works, you sort of have to work in those industries as well because life is messy, full of nuance, and a particular craft related to a particular field is... Uh, really the only way to accumulate any kind of wisdom. Other than that, we are sort of reliant in a world where we have to lean on the judgment of people who are also in those fields um, experts. And that's a messy process. All I'm trying to point out is um, what you're talking about is oh yes, and how it makes them a better person. To, well, here's the thing. Martial arts can make you a better person. I've seen it. To an extent, I've felt it. Um that's real. That's absolutely real. That can happen, and it, 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 it happens quite routinely. Uh, you see people who come in who might be shy, and then through jujitsu, they learn all kinds of things about themselves that they didn't realize were true. Good things. Maybe some bad things, too, but a lot of good things. Um, and they gain all these skills, and they might lose weight, and they might get stronger, and they might meet a community of like-minded people, and it has this really transformative effect on them, if people want to be better people and they have genuinely the kind of natural ingredients and makeup, psychological and physical for it, jujitsu can be quite helpful. On the other hand, if you're a fucking asshole um, and you're a little demented and you have bad ideas about the world or whatever, empowering someone to do kimuras and chokes, um, you know, they might be able to comply in a gym setting where they're not so much of a nuisance, although even that can be a bit of a problem. But yeah, you can just make bad people worse too. Like the idea that if you just go to jiu-jitsu and you get ranked, that this process will transform your morality is a complete joke. It can make you better if you want to be better. It can enhance those things. It can give you skills 
to lean into that more. If you don't want to lean into that, it will give you none of it. So there's that too. Plus, there's this ranked structure of, uh, and I'm not here to say all of it is bad. Many parts of it are good, but like bowing and calling certain professor or teachers professor or master and like looking up to certain higher level belts and hierarchy and institutions and there's a check mat is it alliance is it whoever i'm not here to call them out i'm not I, there's not they're, they're fine i'm not i'm using them as a theoretical example but i'm just saying you can get these uh, these larger than life figures you can get these institutions and it can all trickle down to have an effect of people really you know tolerating bad behavior looking the other way lionizing people who are otherwise quite odious it happens all the time because you have conferred upon them a certain status by virtue of this practice and by virtue of the rank in the practice um, and what you have ascribed that the, the, the moral dimensions of this practice to be, it becomes impossible that someone who is a highly successful person who seems nice on the outside could be anything other than that. When in fact, of course, that we know that to be totally untrue. So, yeah. Yeah, for, I mean, again, this is the last thing I'll say on this, but for me, the, the pandemic was a big wake-up call about... Um, I would argue the 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 limits of rational thought through occupation and um, just the general scientific rejection and outright illiteracy that is, I think, rampant across um, combat sports. Uh, Luke, the Aspen Lad controversy last week got me thinking: Is it really beneficial to have your boyfriend slash husband in the corner? Seems like a surprisingly high percentage of female fighters have their boyfriend or husband in their corner. Thoughts? Well, I tend to think if you live in gyms, you're going to find romance in gyms. That seems like an inevitable consequence of the human condition. So, not sure what you can do about that. Yeah, you're, the, the one thing I'll say is, I think the Aspen Lad thing is a little bit blown out of proportion, personally. Um, I'm not saying that if people don't like it, that they have to like it. That's actually not the argument that I'm making. I'm not saying that if Misha finds it abusive, she's automatically wrong. First, she could be right, and that Aspen lad doesn't like it and is just not telling us that. On that level, she could be right. There's actually another level where she could be right, which is for her, someone talking to her like that would be extremely abusive, and she would hate it in the corner and wouldn't tolerate it. Am I supposed to tell her she's supposed to now tolerate this? Like, if you want to fight her to perform at their best. You want them to be comfortable. You want them to give, you want someone in their corner that's going to put them in a position to win. If you don't like that kind of thing and you don't respond to it, simply telling her to like it is of no value. It doesn't do anything. She has to want that. Um, and so if people don't have a palate for it, dude, I'm not here to tell them that they should just suck it up and like deal. But I definitely don't mind that kind of thing personally. And you saw Daniel Cormier say that. You saw some other folks say that. Like, dude, and it's a very, very, very different situation. But, like, you know, my superiors in the military, like, <laughs> they talk to me a lot worse than that. I mean, infinitely worse than that. Uh, granted, it's a totally different circumstance. This is not the military. Maybe even that basis of comparison is unfair. But that, at age 18, for me ingrained a certain kind of tolerance for that frankly and almost I almost look for it if shit gets bad enough like do I want someone to say something mean to me um if I'm you know struggling to get through something I, I you know what uh here's a true story I remember I couldn't climb a rope once I was dog tired I mean I've been able to climb a rope like a million times but I was dog tired and I remember one of my, this is true, I mean, this is an old school kind of thing I'm leaning on here, I get, but I remember one of my drill instructors said to me, he's like, Thomas, 
you're going to leave here the same piece of shit you walked in. Get up that fucking rope. And up the rope I went. <laughs> it was weird. It was weird, you know? Like, uh, um, and he was like, you know, it was, it was, he was shouting obscenities and stuff. Like, dude, they, they would get in your ear and just tell you shit like, you know, your, your girl back home is fucking everyone in town and your parents don't love you and you're a born loser and da 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 And like, you know, is that the right thing for everybody? No. Like, I don't recommend certain people to put themselves in an environment where they have to deal with that guy. Like, you don't like that shit? Go join the Air Force, you know? If I get a better um, money for college anyway. But for a certain kind of makeup, that might make sense. Anyway, uh, you're talking about the husband part. The only thing I'll say is, in that sense, I think the situation is overblown a little bit. On the other hand, um, I've not really seen a ton of scenarios off the top of my head where the husband, you know, wife team, if the wife is fighting, where like the wife, you know, Amanda Serrano might be the best example where you can win at a high level doing that. But, and he, Short of that, I don't see a lot of examples of like championship level fighters doing that. That's not to say that Aspen Lad can't do that in this situation. I'm not making any predictions about her life. I, I don't know. Uh, but as a matter of historical record, I tend to view those with a little bit of suspicion in terms of just like how good is this for the fighter to get to get better. Uh, I've been out of the army since 2008. Yet 13 years later, I still have trouble fitting into civilian life. There has been such a disconnect from my time in Iraq and Afghanistan versus what most civilians deal with. Um, you should email me. You should email me. I'm going to put a star in this. If not, I'll email you. Uh, from Shadow to Bravo, you should email me. LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Email me. All right, if Kamaru Usman, Justin Gaethje, and Rose Namajunas are all victorious at 268, is Trevor Whitman clearly coach of the year? Uh, keep in mind Kamaru's sharp evolution shown by his last two victories via KO and Rose being the first woman to ever reclaim a title in the UFC. So if Kamaru, Justin, and Rose are all victorious at 268, he might be. He might be. Yeah, he might be. I'm trying to think, like, you know, Eric Nixick is kind of always in the mix, too, with putting winners on the, um, putting fighters in the winner's circle. I don't think you should look past him. Who are some other ones? I mean, dude, Safe Saud, he, he consistently producing winners. I would say, though, that if you've got three, well, if Gaethje beat Chandler, he wouldn't be champion. But I'll say this, if Gaethje reclaims the belt while Kumaro and Rose have it, so he's got three champions under his belt, three UFC champions, uh, that is extremely impressive. Dude, it's impressive if one gym has that, much less one coach. One fighter we have not heard from in a while is Tony Ferguson. Good, because he needs a break. He needs a break. I personally would love to see him in some fun money fights instead of being fed to younger generation fighters and being released eventually. He deserves better. A Nate Diaz fight would be amazing. I agree. Would you want to see what? What would you want to see out of Tony next? I don't know what he wants. Um, let me look at his record. He's done it all in certain ways. You know, obviously we didn't get the Khabib fight. I get, uh, but um, you know, I. You guys know my attitude. Like I just want guys to give us the most they can in their prime, which he did. So he's. Oh, I forgot about the Benil Dariush fight. Jesus. Um, 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe something of a... Maybe something of a um, softer landing. How old is he now? He'll be 38 February. He's, I mean, that's for a lightweight, that's old, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think something along those lines. Nate or, um, you know, just something kind of a little on the hooker, maybe. Maybe it's a little more. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, dude, 38. I'm, 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 let me pull up the record, too. Sorry, the rankings, I should say. My daughter hasn't taken a nap today, so God only knows what's about to happen here. Um, I mean, here's the problem. Like, Tony's sitting at seven. Dan Hooker's sitting at six. I like that. Maybe you could do Michael Chandler, depending on how he looks. But, like, dude, it's not like 10 to 15 is some fucking cakewalk. 10 is Gregor Gillespie. 11 is Diego Fajera. Good fighters. Do you want to see them fight Tony Ferguson? Like, is there, is there a real big intrigue there? Not necessarily. 12 is Brad Riddell, right? A beast of a kickboxer. 11 is Armin Saryukian, who could be champion one day. 14 is Rafael Fazayev. I realize he and Riddell are going to fight, but, you know, Jesus Christ, that, those three murderers right there. And then Tiago Moises. Like, do you want to see him in the Tiago Moises fight? That doesn't do much for me. The hooker fight I like. Chandler maybe. He already fought RDA. Connor you could do, I guess, you know. But the choices are fairly limited. At what point will slash should... The UFC remotely criticized Jones and McGregor's recent actions. Am I the only one sick of reading the blank is up to their old tricks again bullshit with these two and then wanting a more honest take in the media from the UFC? We're talking multiple cases of assault and now an incident of domestic violence with Jones. You have personal experience with Jones in particular acting like a jackass. Are you tired of him getting away with all of this? Well, um, again, the recent incident is alleged... You know, none of it is proven. We have to wait. But, of course, even without that, you have all the other record that is there. Um, man, I was willing to give him every excuse in the book in his 20s. You know, I knew just so many people who had such fucked up 20s that kind of figured it out later. And then by their 30s, you know, not that they were incident free, but more or less were on the right path. And now that I am in my 40s, early 40s, but 40s just the same. Those people have continued on and done great. Like they had really wild ass, sometimes getting arrested, 20s, and they just eventually got it together. Um, that is not the case with John, not even close. Now, it, it appears from what I can tell that he is dealing with a number of issues beyond merely just alcohol or I should say substance abuse. There are um, what appear to be quite serious problems and uh, damage done to him. I don't mean just sort of uh, physical damage, but. He has alluded to various incidents in his life that have caused him significant pain. I take him at his word. I take him very much at his word on that. Uh, but that all together means that unless those are addressed, this will only continue. Like, dude, I, I've, tr I've tried the old, let's drink this away, see how this goes. Doesn't get you, I mean, it feels, it's fun for a while. Um, it will it will end just as you started it. It will be, you will be very frustrated that all you spent all those years trying to drink that 
uh, problem away and it got you not much. It got you not much in the end. So um, here's what I would say about this first. The first thing I'd say is whether it's McGregor or whether it's Jones, it's pretty clear at this point, guys, that like, you know, you just need to listen. Imagine the UFC and Dana White never said anything. So the only thing you ever had was whether or not, like, like if they, I mean, you know, they make an announcement of a suspension that counts. But what I mean to say is like, Dana doesn't do interviews at all. The UFC doesn't let you know anything other than an official action one way or the other, right? Like when they let Luis Pena go, they put out an official statement. Right, so that's the only thing they ever said. Everything else you could judge of them on is what they did. If imagine you never heard from them other than those conditions, what would you conclude about their priorities? I think you'd be very much within your right to conclude, and it seems to me quite obvious at this point. Not that this is any kind of revelation for some of you, but we should say it quite plainly. And I think this is probably, by the way, you know, I don't want to. I certainly cannot speak for UFC, nor can I speak for Bellator or One. But I tend to think that this line of thinking is probably true, not merely in combat sports, but throughout, to an extent, corporate America as well. Namely, um, there is going to be a balance equation. And the equation is going to be to what extent is this person still incredibly valuable to us for our business ends versus them being a liability. And once that gets too far into the dimension of the liabilities outweigh any benefits, I think they'll be happy to part with them. Um, And... By the way, sometimes detecting what that might be can be a little bit difficult. I tend to think that um, the UFC will probably wait until it is abundantly clear that they need to cut ties with any various fighter before they actually do, which, of course, you might say, why should they cut someone until they've done something so heinous? But um, I don't know what John's next move is. I hope it is to get the kind of help that he needs, and he goes on to lead a successful career where he claims – uh, he's already had a successful career, but a next chapter to it where he's able to claim the heavyweight title and do something in the sport that is truly special. I think he's capable of that. Um, on the other hand, if he doesn't, if he decides to treat these problems like he's treated the, most of the problems in his life, then something truly terrible will almost inevitably happen. And at that point, it will have been too late, right? You had all these warning signs to do something and you didn't. But at the time which you didn't, I mean, if you're the UFC, like, dude, is the are they running... Features on SportsCenter talking about the UFC's negligence in these matters? No. Um, is it making the news all the time? No. I mean, I, guys, like when TRT was causing problems with the headlines, you began to see real situations of coverage that were just terribly unflattering. Now, they got unflattering coverage um, around the whole COVID situation, which they were defiant of, but eventually what happened there, that made its way to Disney and to various federal actors uh, and state actors, high-level state actors like the governor, that eventually everything just kind of came crashing down on them. They were able to reconstitute in Florida, but it at least, you know, bad media coverage can have a really bad effect. Dude, if they're not reacting to what, what to you might appear to be really troublesome news or for you the kind of thing that is totally worthy of, uh, you know, releasing someone from their work commitments, um, it's... The fact that the UFC hasn't tells you everything you need to know. Um, again, for any promotion, really. Again, the, you, we can make this specific to them, and certainly the UFC is going to be much more forgiving of um, yeah, McGregor and Jones by virtue of what they can offer. But the lessons are the same. If 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 the balance and the equation is such that the UFC still still deems this um, a valuable situation for them and one where the costs are known and potentially disastrous, but probably not uh and they like their chances they're just going to 
go that direct. I mean, it's quite it's quite obvious, right? Just forget what they say. Just judge by their actions. What is their priority? Uh, their priority is to keep someone in their roster, provided they are still valuable and not toxic to their business. And because there is not much, I mean, there's media stories about John Jones, but it's mostly about him, and there's not really like a heavy drumbeat for the UFC to do anything about it. I tend to think, you know, um, you see a lot of fans get on Twitter and like bash John and his mentions and stuff. I, I don't know how much I really believe that stuff. If they announced a fight with him and um, Stipe tomorrow, which they probably won't do, but, you know, let's imagine that they did. Are, am I really to believe that that wouldn't sell tickets or pay-per-view buys? <laughs> do you believe that? I don't believe that. I think that would do really well. I don't know if it'd be like, you know, Conor versus Nate or something. I don't think it'd be that. But you get the idea, like... Dude, they moved a fight on a week's notice after this terrible anti-doping issue that he had. However, you know, much leeway you want to grant him, it was a bad look just the same. And they just said, hey, let's move across state lines. What did fans do in California? How upset did they seem? They didn't seem that upset to me. They went and bought tickets. It's the same shit. UFC knows it. You know it. We, bought, we all know it. Everyone knows it. So until that is twisted, uh, until that you know equation is turned on its head or turned enough you know you know what the answer is uh with bob ross he had multiple incidents some were really bad you know you could maybe if you want to argue i'm not i personally wouldn't go down this route but some might argue that those were in closer succession and the whole closed fist part um with you know two witnesses there two adult witnesses to it um two women he apparently had hit again allegedly i want to be very clear about that allegedly he had hit that might sound worse in certain ways if you want to compare the Jones and, and, and Pena situations. Um, but, you know, it's pretty obvious that while that might be worse, I don't know if it's dramatically worse, number one. And number two, the big difference is now this relationship becomes toxic or at a bare minimum, there's no real value add for keeping him at that point given the level of toxicity. So they just, they parted ways. And by the way, he could be innocent of all of them. I, I I don't know what the situation will end up being, but that's forget everything they say. What do they do? Uh, they're just waiting for this relationship to go one way or the other. If Colby beats Kamaru at two sixty eight, does the UFC make an immediate rematch between the two? Probably. Because you don't really have a clear-cut guy. I mean, you could say Vicente, but like... If Vicente beat... If they, they make the Nate fight and Vicente beats him, at that point, I guess you really would owe it to him. But like, do you really feel like, man, who's the guy to beat Kamaru? I don't know. Colby's that guy, if anybody's that guy, right? So probably. Probably. Oh, what about, what about Leon? Um, Kamaru already fought and beat him. Um, yeah, this is a different time. He, he, he would be owed, but at the same time, like, it is what it is. Uh, surely Leon should be next in line for Colby if they decide to move on from Usman, but you never know. Would Kamaru deserve a rematch? Uh, well, here's my rule on rematches. A lot of people want to be like, oh, they lost bad, but they were champion for a long time. Let's do a rematch. No, fuck that. How did you win? How did you lose? If you won by some kind of skinnier teeth, the judges did you a favor, like one of the scorecards was like 
49-46, and you clearly lost four rounds, and the 49 went to you. You know, something sketchy like that. And um, Or if you barely win, and it's, you know, whatever. Some kind of controversy in, this, in the setup, and then the result. Um, you know, we could talk about it. If you just got your ass whipped, like what, what, like what Kamaru did to Tyron, like why would there be a case for a rematch there? You lost handily. You know what I mean? Like, there's no... That's just it. The time to get back... You know, I'm not saying they're, they're that far from a title shot if they can rebound relatively quickly, like, like what Max has done or something. I'm not saying that Max lost thoroughly, but what I'm saying is he was able to, like, put himself in a position to get uh, a second and now even a third title shot pretty easily, but... Uh, potentially a third when he has to beat Yair. But, um... So, to me, if Kamaru goes in there and Colby just beats him pillar to post, I don't... I don't have any desire to see a rematch at that point. If there's some fuckery about because of the commission or bad judging or a bad ref stoppage or something, then for sure I I think the situation calls for it, or at least you have to entertain that idea at that point. But I'm not this guy that's like, oh, they were champion for five years, that we you know, we owe it to them to give them another shot. No, we don't. Why? Because <laughs> they one fights in a certain succession that now confers upon them the result to always maintain status of a certain kind of fight. Like, no, if, if you, the, the reward for being in title fights is winning them or at the first time earning one. Like if you want to be in title fights, be the number one contender or be the champ and win there. You want more of those title fights? Win again. Uh, just putting someone in title fights who's losing in them. I don't, I'm not the I'm not the guy who argues like tenure should matter. I don't think tenure should matter. If Bellator could add one current UFC fighter to their roster, who would benefit Bellator the most long term? So someone you could reasonably rely upon to fight for a while? Believe it or not, with some of their ambitions in Italy, I think Marvin Vittori would actually be pretty good for them. That's not the answer I would give. I mean, who's their top? Nate Diaz. I mean, he wouldn't be around very long, but they would matchmake for him carefully. Nick, same thing. Um, anybody who's, you know, uh, you know, style. I mean, do anybody who's selling pay-per-views, like anybody, anybody, because that they don't they don't have many of those. Also, the thing with Vittori is he's twenty-seven. You know, Luke, as someone who has been an editor, can you please explain the prevalence of typos and grammatical errors in news articles from respectable websites? I often, yes, I can. I often find myself reading an article uh, and there will be a glaring spelling error or the same word written twice in a row. Things like that. It's not like I think I could do better. Just curious how these simple but obvious errors make it to print on big news sites. So let's talk inside the MMA space before we get to something larger. Inside the MMA space, there are very, very, very few places that are providing dedicated fact checkers and dedicated um, what's called copy editors. Um, your editor, your your general editor, whether he's executive or deputy or whatever, they'll look over your stuff too. But they'll do more than just copy edit. Like, is this appropriate grammar or do, you know, are these whatever? They'll ask like, hey, what's the angle of the story? And I need more of this voice and blah blah blah. So they have much more creative input and control. But copy editors, I think I've worked in all my years in a newsroom. I think I had copy editors for like maybe a handful of assignments. And when I say assignments, I'm talking of the hundreds, if not thousands I've done. 
They just don't exist. There's no money for that. Um, or at a bare minimum, there's just not much of a priority because the first problem you'll notice is that one, the people who are typically tasked with this kind of thing, um, if you don't have it, and here's the reality. If you're a big-ish but niche website, which you know most of the, like a, like a MMA fighting or a junkie or something, you can get away with having some bad errors that are relatively infrequent where the person who writes the story tries to police themselves. You'll have one or two more people look it over, maybe, let's say, if a couple errors get out that way, you just don't really care because you don't have a dedicated copy editor and it's just sort of part of the process. And it turns out that might annoy some people on the website, but it doesn't meaningfully hurt your traffic relative to your competition who's probably suffering from some of the same personnel limitations, right? So the first part is it's kind of like how much can you get away with before the audience really begins to turn on you and this affects your business? And the answer is you can get away with a fair amount. Um, and so between that and between the fact that copy editors just hiring someone to do that job can be very, very expensive if you want to have that kind of perfect execution. The point being is the marginal cost of adding a copy editor for a business of that size, you do get a benefit, but it's probably not worth the benefit relative to the cost. Where else could that 40,000, I mean, they don't make 40, but let's say, you know, relative to what they make, let's say 40,000 for just the sake of uh, example, where else could you put that? You could put that into, you know, uh, a big boost for one of your top riders. You could put $20,000 into equipment and that's annually, right? So that's every year you're going to get that. It's just not, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Now for bigger websites or news organizations like the Washington Post, Reuters, um, that kind of a thing. They will have copy editors. Their excuse, I don't have as much of a good explanation for. My, I never worked in a, in a newsroom of that size. I, I don't have a good an answer for you. And I know that they do employ copy editors at that level. I do think there's a question of how many of them there are. Also, the other part is no matter whether you're at an MMA fighting or a large news organization like the Washington Post, you are still dealing with some of the limitations that come with just uh, news information and dis dissemination in this age, which is speed um, is a huge premium. And so I think even under the best of circumstances, um, there's just going to be some of this that gets through because there's human error. And then when you add speed as a component, it's going to compound the problems. I would need a better example of like where you're seeing a lot of this. I, I have seen some from some places I subscribe to, I subscribe, I should cancel it because I don't get much out of it, but I do subscribe to The Economist. I tend to find that whoever copy edits them does a really good job. Post is hit or miss, is hit or miss with this. Um, usually pretty good, but sometimes you see some egregious examples otherwise. My dad was saying it's much worse now than it was when print was the only option. He might be, you know, back in my day kind of thing. But my dad's still pretty with it. I tend to believe what he's saying is the truth. And back then, think about what the difference might be. You know, the printing process is important and you're on deadline and it's quick. But you have one newspaper to produce a day. Now, that's a very, very, very difficult thing. But you're not producing potentially by the hour, which is a completely different ball game. But that just makes... You know, you guys ever seen that Lucille Ball? I mean, Jesus Christ, am I making the oldest person reference on earth? It's a famous comedy sketch where the chocolate bonbons are coming down the assembly line and her, her job is to like place them in the container or whatever she's supposed to do with them. But they come so fast. She's like stuffing them down her shirt and into her mouth because the assembly line is moving so quickly. It's like that. It was the fire hose is coming, you know, making sure people don't get wet as you try to direct that flow is it's going to be difficult. There's, you know it's the speed really 
makes it account for it. But the big issue is at the level which you might watch, you know, you, you uh, at the if you if you go to a particular vertical, like I go for my tech stuff, I go to like The Verge. I think it's a very good site. Um, they are going to have some people who look over articles there. They are pretty thorough, but for a site of that size, hiring enough copy editors to basically eliminate errors is not an effective use of their money given where else it could be spent and given what the audience expectation is and then the current levels of filtering out most of that stuff. When and how do you think the sport's current grappling meta will evolve to deal with the success of fighters from the Smash Factory, exploiting it by forcing fighters into layered exchanges on the ground? I'm not sure what you mean by that. It seems like most camps refuse to acknowledge the problem and just chalk up the Eastern Bloc dominance to where they are from. Yes, there is that, but what do you mean by layered exchanges on the ground? Uh, I'm not... I'm not entirely certain what you mean. I tend to think that you're always going to get strong competitors from there because it's anytime sport and culture have a deep intertwine, intertwinement, intertwining, um, you're just going to get a lot of talent from there. It's going to have a recruiting force that is part, you know, uh, impactful. It's going to have a, um, a retention that's going to be impactful in terms of people sticking with this over time and really accumulating wisdom and then you know handing it down practice to practice person to person generation to generation it's just deeply embedded in certain places in ways that it's not here and so we could learn the best practices that they have but that cultural influence like anytime anytime a game is important to a culture like sumo is to japan or um american football is to america right i mean these are games that are largely only played in one place or experienced in one place at the, at the level which is at its highest, um, you know, it's you're just going to get better competitors uh, overall. So there's that. Uh, but I, I, I struggle to know what you mean when you say layered exchanges. I think I know what you mean, but I would love to hear that explained better. I apologize. I don't, I don't quite know what you mean. Shinya Aoki's compression pants and leggings were awesome. I don't know if many commissions would allow stuff like that anymore. No, they won't. What are some of your favorite fighters that wore or did unique but not technically interesting things? Honorable mention to Akihiro Gono. Uh, probably the first to come to anyone's mind when asked this question. Uh, you're talking about like, well, this is why. So it, it used to be in women's MMA for a long time that they could wear leggings. Like well into the modern era. And I'd be like, dude, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, I realize that women wear yoga pants more than men, but that doesn't mean they need to wear them in the ring. Finally, commissions caught up and stopped that shit. But I even saw, God, he was in the um, he was in the UFC for a while. He was the uh, Brazilian dude who wore a cowboy hat. Not Cowboy Oliveira, a different one. I forget his name, but I, I called one of his fights when he fought for a local promotion here called UWC back in the aughts. And uh, he had the two-thirds leggings. So they go down to like, and they cover like half your calf. And I was like, you know that's an advantage, right? Because if your knees are covered, that knee line is covered, um, your grappling is it's not like the, the world's biggest advantage, but you're going to have an advantage. It's even now why I don't like the, um, the rash guard that they give to women. I realize that the problem is a little bit more complicated and trying to clothe them in a way that is, um, you know, incorporates their needs and interests but at the same time doesn't give it doesn't really change the game but like if, 
I'm telling you, there's a difference between grabbing someone who does have a rash guard around the waist and then the back and someone who doesn't. To me, there's a big difference. Um, you know, how much that actually plays out and what the data says and everything else at the highest level is a different question. But at a bare minimum, it confers something of an advantage that I think that should be weeded out. The thing I used to love is my hero. I did a whole video on this on this channel about uh, MMA and the gi. MMA in the gi to me is one of the most unexplored, missed opportunities anywhere. Dude, I am telling you, people don't like gi jiu-jitsu because they find it, like, like the average fan, especially the average MMA fan, they like no-gi better for a lot of reasons. No-gi grappling resembles MMA a little bit more closely than no-gi. No-gi, uh, excuse me, gi jiu-jitsu, you know, it gets into a lot of, it's slower, it's a more, I, I would argue it's a more technical game for the most part. And I'm sure Gordon Ryan would disagree. But in general, I think that's true for most competitors at most levels. Probably some examples that's not true. But uh, the point being is it's certainly a slower game. And there's just a lot of different grips. And the game is quite different. And But like the the reality about the gi is when people first start wearing it, a lot of people, a lot of people don't like it. You know, they think it's like, oh, I can't, you know, I could do things but for this gi. And what you realize is, they're just telling you they don't have the required skills to weaponize a gi, either their own or someone else's, right? Because if you're good at popping grips, like you're, you're, you really have worked on grip stripping and then establishing your grips, dude, you're going to tear someone up, man. And like, if you go through that process where you go from, I fucking hate this gi to like, dude, let's put on the gi, you will see what I'm talking about. And the fact that you dude, you could have so many more takedowns, so many more throws, so many more uh, jump into like submission scenarios. You could have bow and arrow chokes from the back. You could have much more Ezekiel chokes with the with the um, with the with the with the sleeve. You could have so many more dynamic attacks from the mount. You could have cross chokes from the mount. Hydra Gracie used to be the fucking man at cross chokes from the mount. I think it would weaponize a lot more than people realize. The problem is that you know how many people have the kind of skills in the gi to make that work. Well, there's a guy named uh, Hirohiko Yoshida, who, I mean, he's not the only one. Um, Makoto Takimoto was another one. Um, there's a bunch of guys who have fought. Obviously, Hoist used to fight in the gi, Hoist Gracie. But, dude, the first guy to, like, make it really fun for me was Hirohiko Yoshida. Yoshida won the gold medal in the Olympics, I believe, at the Barcelona 92 games. Competed well past that in MMA into a, you know, and eventually he went no gi himself. But there were so many times where he was able to use his gi to hold position, to threaten chokes, to uh, to keep arm bars. Like once he went for the arm, his competitors have trouble getting it out, you know, um, because the bite with the clothes. Is, I mean, and he was wearing, if you guys never put it on, you can get these. I actually don't like lightweight jujitsu gis because I find that if you get someone really strong and they get a good grip, they can not only grab the lapel, they can grab several inches of fabric behind the lapel. And then if they turn their wrist and they're really good at maintaining either sleeve or whatever kind of other control that they're looking for, it's very, very hard to break that grip. I've actually found, personally speaking, and maybe someone else out there has a different experience, but I've actually, um, I don't like to wear the judo geese, which are very, very heavy, but I have found that the slightly heavier geese, my grip breaking is a lot better by virtue of um, they're not, they're not, they just can't get a full on bite because it's so much heavier, so much thicker material. And so, dude, he would get people in all kinds of compromising situations with that thick-ass Mizuno um, judo gi. 
and it was awesome to watch, man. And then he would go like to the back, and then he would just start punching like it was normal MMA or something. But he could um, he could wrap the his gi would come out of his belt, so his belt would still be on, but the gi would you know be kind of loose. He would take it and then wrap it around someone's throat and shit. Like he was awesome about that. And I've always thought, I've always believed, it's like, dude, when you really realize, however many submissions you have in no gi, you've got a million more of those in gi. Um, if we brought that to MMA, everyone's sort of talked about the decline of jiu-jitsu in MMA. Maybe it would be totally true that even with the gi, you would still get that kind of dynamic. I tend to think that um, it might be a little bit different. You might get much more dynamic offense off of uh, gi jiu-jitsu, especially if you have like real... Like people who came up in the gi, not just black belts who did the um, a tenth planet only no gi system, which is a great system. I'm not saying otherwise, but for specific gi, it doesn't do shit for you, right? At least not much against someone who is a, you know, I worked my way whatever through the gi. That's a big missed opportunity for me. Rocky did the boxing world a lot of good, bringing a resurgence of fans to the sport. Do you think Ace did it? Is that true? Rocky was really popular. Did it change the trajectory of boxing or something? Like, what's the evidence for that? Um, but do you think a similar thing could happen if a good MMA movie was made? Sure. Yeah, sure. But, dude, at some point, like, you know, I'm not saying boxing is filled with the most high-character individuals, but... MMA culture is a little bit different. It's a little bit more on edge. It's a little bit more... I think one of the things that boxing has figured out a little bit is... Um, MMA still has something of an instinctual desire to be... It definitely wants to be mainstream, like no doubt about it. But there are parts of the community and this elements inside the culture that are forever counterculture, that are forever against the mainstream, that are forever, we want this to be our thing to the side. And I don't think all those impulses are altogether bad, although many of them are. Um, it's a mixed bag. But boxing, I don't think has that exactly boxing is more seen as like quite literally youth development programs mma can be seen that way but it's still more seen like you know what do hell's angels do when they're not committing crimes <laughs> oh they watch mma it's got a real um you know moss Eisley cantina kind of vibe to it where uh like, dude, if you go to boxing events, they don't feel like audiences at MMA events. Not virtue, not merely by virtue of like any kind of racial or wealth makeup, but there's just a, it's a different vibe, man. I don't, I don't have a great answer for this other than this sort of my general interpretation of things. But there is a part of MMA that is dark that I think people that still defines it to many uh, insiders and outsiders, and that many of the insiders don't want to let go of. Luke, you're a fan of metal, some, anyway, and have seemingly been to quite a few shows in your time. Uh, average, I suppose, but I've been to some. I imagine you don't anymore. Uh, the last show I went to was in uh, right before the pandemic. It was in January, I think, 
maybe December or something of like 2019 or whatever it was, um, in Philly, I saw Cannibal Corpse at the uh, TLA, Theater of Living Arts, I think is what it's called. Bro, that show. Fuck. People are like, oh, that's boomer metal. That's l- Listen, if you're 20 and you like death metal today, I want you to know very clearly I don't give a fuck about your opinion. And I'm sure you will return the favor like, oh, no one cares about your opinion too. That's fine. Like, I'm not... I don't care if you like what I like. It's fine. But, uh, you know, I've been to many, many... Well, I guess with my wife, I've been to many of her kind of concerts. My kind of concerts, I've been to fewer of. You know, my particular kind of metal. Her, like... She likes that Norwegian black doom shit that I don't really care for. But, you know, I can't let her go solo, so I have to go with her. Anyway, um, I've been to a few of those. Um, Not even one of those was even, like... You could go to you could go to a thousand of those shows, and not one of them will prepare you for what Cannibal Corpse. Was. I could not fucking believe how brutal that show was, dude. They they don't do a lot of crowd work, you know. They don't they don't do a lot of like how you doing Philly. You know, they, it's they get right to business, and dude, it's one and they they tune their sound. I said it before. I felt like I was a boxer in the corner trying to roll with the punches because I was just getting fucking banged on by this you know uh, Gatlin gun of bass and drum that was just unrelenting it was great but Jesus I don't know how those guys do that night after night year after year frankly at this point decade after decade one of the most incredible shows I've ever seen Um, did you ever participate in mosh pits when you were younger yeah sure Do you prefer to just watch the band perform? Now I prefer to watch the band perform, given that I'm a fucking geezer. But yeah, back in my day, sure, man, we did some of that. It was stupid, but you know, dude, that's what I mean. What I mean about being in your twenties, like if you're, a du- I-, I can't speak for women, obviously, nor would I try. But if you're a dude, like part of being in your twenties is doing all kinds of stupid shit. The whole idea is to not have it be so costly, like to life and limb and whatever you want to kind of hope that that doesn't happen and you should take some precautions to avoid that but up until that you should do dumb shit um not i'm not recommending reckless or illegal practices but it's just it's part of being a guy a young guy all right it's four so let me see if i can dig up these uh questions from the super chat oops let's go here i think i have found the hack for this yes here we go well there might be a bunch of these jesus all right here we go uh how did you learn to program your lifts currently using rp coach that's renaissance periodization for mine, but want to learn how to program for hypertrophy and maintenance on my own. There's a book on this. Uh, I've talked about it before. Where did I put that thing? Um, Renaissance Periodization has a whole book on this. But dude, like you can use Prilipin's table. There's lots of ways you can do this. Um, if you need to. You can read the book on this. Um, Starting Strength has some stuff on this. But Renaissance Periodization has everything you would need. Um, Juggernaut, uh, that's who might have the book. Juggernaut Training Systems. Um, Chad Wesley Smith, I think, has a book on this. Shouts to Chad Wesley Smith, amazing guy. Um, 
check him out is how you want to learn how to program. But there's all different kinds of programming. There's programming for powerlifting. There's programming for power building. There's programming for hypertrophy. What you need to learn is how to do those kinds of programs for your particular fitness goal and then um, you know lay out the table. Another guy to recommend, I keep recommending him but he's because he's just an unbelievable wealth of knowledge. Hypertrophy Coach, I don't even know his real name, but if you look up Hypertrophy Coach on YouTube, he's got all kinds of stuff on this. The biggest one is Dr. Mike Isratel. Dr. Mike Isratel has tons of stuff, free stuff anybody can get. If you can just get to a phone and or a computer and look it up on YouTube, it's all there and free. Dr. Mike Isratel has... Um, has all kinds of stuff on this. and But, you know, Prilipin's table is an easy way to do it. Um, you can look up sample programs. You can have someone, you can you can pay someone to do program. I mean, it's, dude, as I've said before, the only reason you shouldn't have to get jacked if you want to get jacked these days is just time. Like, as, and even that really shouldn't be an excuse. It's never been easier to get jacked. In the history of humanity, it's never been easier. And for people not using drugs either, anybody can do it. They call in me. Ballpark, how long have you spoken to your live chat audience on mute total? <laughs> uh, extra credit, how much of your sense of humor is Marine Corps born? A lot. Um, I've probably spoken to like my audience probably several hours on mute. Several hours on mute. Uh, this, uh, thank you for the donation. Uh, Thierry writes, I would have never thought that BC is known as the American Alpha. He's not. He just started calling himself that. But here we are. What am I missing there? Nothing. You're not missing anything. He's the least alpha person I know. I love him to death. He's great. He's, and I, I, I mean this sincerely, I don't know that he could make it through a class, much less a week, much less a belt uh, in jiu-jitsu. I, I mean that general, I mean that with absolute sincerity. I don't know that he could make it through sparring rounds. He is delicate. He is, uh, he's very kind. He's smart. He's funny. There's lots of great things you can say about BC. Many, many great things. Being tough, <laughs> you know, or like super alpha or whatever, like, that ain't it. That ain't it. He, he just does that shit because it's like opposite day for him. I, I, let me tell you something. I've been around some pretty alpha dudes. I wouldn't even put him top 1,000 of them. I'd put him number one in my heart. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not like alpha dudes I've ever been around. Like, it wouldn't even occur to me to put him on that list. Uh, Luke, you're appreciated. Thank you for all your contributions from June Kim, he writes. Uh, second, did you know that Taekwondo is pronounced Taekwondo and not Taekwondo? Help me spread the word. Stay frosty. I did not know that, but I will look that up to verify. And if that's true... I will say that, and then BC will accuse me of being arrogant. Didn't you know, that's how my life works? I have an a good idea to mitigate excessive weight cutting. Is for USADA to weigh you and administer. A fat test when they come to test you. Thoughts, you dozer. I think you mean dosser. That's with two S's. Dozer is someone who falls asleep a lot. I wish that was me. I don't even know what you're saying. But thank you for the donation. 
Are the cost of weight issues indicative of how the UFC needs to change or be more forthcoming with its audience? Feels like we have been kept in the dark. You mean like about what weight they're trying to get to? I mean, I don't know that we need to be in on that, but I do agree that some kind of hasty resolution with a public acknowledgement needs to be made. This is why the sport needs to be regulated by the government, though. It's shit like this. I'm not saying UFC is doing anything underhanded, but you could see how without government oversight, um, a less above-board promoter could get into shady shit. Max bench press. Since I've talked about it before, I'll talk about it again. He says, Semper Fi, and thanks for the awesome content. 395 is my lifetime bench PR. 395. I cannot ever seem to cross 400. Which, by the way, I could not do now. I don't think I can do it. I mean, I could... I think a while ago, I did like 315 for four without much issue. Um... 315 for four? I think that's right. A bare minimum for three. So I could do that. Uh, I could probably get somewhere close to it. But, dude, my shoulders are all fucked up. This one's repaired. This one, I tore my rotator cuff. Like, I, I'm i not really interested in, like, oh, you know, what's the most amount I can pull off the ground? I'm like, I want to have a high amount where I can do. But I, I need to stay healthy. I'm not trying max. I mean, there's a reason why. If you think about weight, like competitions involving weight, where do most injuries happen? They happen at competition. They don't happen. A lot of them happen in training, of course, but the majority of them tend to happen in competition because, dude, you're talking about maximum loads at that point that you're trying to move or carry or whatever, and that's when all the bad shit goes goes wrong. I'm not trying to get there. Who stands to gain more from a win between Hooker and Makachev? Hooker. Uh, yeah, hooker. Do you think the winner instantly propels themselves into title conversation? Islam, yes. Dan, no. <laughs> Vincent writes, I was in D.C. on Monday. I saw gym equipment in a punching bag in a front yard. I was going to knock to see if it was your place, but that's too stalkerish for me. I don't have a punching bag in my front yard, so that would have been the wrong house. Nathan writes, looking at 267 and 268 main cards... Uh, if all fighters show up on weight and healthy, which card from Entertainment Scope interests you more? 268, not even a fucking question in my mind. What did you make of Petrosian's KO loss, and how did that not make the show? Um, I did see it. It was uh, incredible. Shocking. Um, how did it not make the show? We fucked up. Should have made the show. We fucked up. I, but I was I, I don't know enough about kickboxing to give you some kind of grand assessment other than it was an incredible KO the way it was executed. And, uh, dude, even guys like Petrosian, I mean, that's a brutal fucking sport, man. Even guys like that, they're going to take some L's along the way, man. I don't know anyone in kickboxing who hasn't had just a terrible loss one way or the other. Uh, this irritates me about you. Stop pretending that being 40 is analogous to being for a frail 65. I'm 27 and regularly get beaten by 40-somethings in BJJ. Well, sounds like you need to work on your BJJ if you're regularly getting beaten by 40-somethings. Someone says, be positive. Dude, I'm not... Uh, I'm not being not positive. I'm being realistic. It's not the same. It's not to the point where you can't do anything. Of course, you can still do a lot. And everyone's going to be a little bit different. 
some people in their 40s are going to be pretty good to go, maybe. Not a whole lot of drop-off. Maybe they've taken really great care of themselves or they have great genetics or they've managed to be injury-free or whatever the combination of factors may be that 40s for them is a different decade and certainly have to be respectful of that, but may not have um, a massive drop-off for them, especially as a hobbyist, not a professional, right? I can understand that. But, dude, for other people, it's not going to be the same. My accumulation of injuries is a problem for me. Um, my... Um, you know, and the degradation from other things. Like I was, I, I a buddy of mine came over. We did the front yard workout just this morning, and I was asking him. I was like, "Dude, do you ever get a pump when you lift weights these days?" I almost never get a pump. You know, like the, I'm getting stronger. I can see like my lifts are getting better. So I'm obviously making progress. I feel better. I can, I can. You know, again, I weigh in all the time. They measure how much uh, lean muscle mass I have. Like I, everything's going in the right direction but in terms of how I feel at a bare minimum. It doesn't even feel remotely the fucking same. And I have to tailor my workouts in a way. And like certain things I used to be able to do with ease are just even, even when I'm training for them, are just much, much harder. Like dude, for me, it was a big drop off between this and 35. I don't feel even close to the same. Um, so if you have people like that in your gym, it's true. If I really wanted to, I probably could find a way to muddle through. But you need to be also be respectful of people's particular injury histories and um, current physical conditions because, yes, is it possible you can train well into your 40s and perhaps even beyond for certain individuals? Yes, it is possible. Um, for others, it it is not possible. Or at least possible but not highly desired and, the, you know, again, the trade-offs versus the gains aren't necessarily all that worth it. Uh, all right, shout out to the Reddit of Morning Combat. Over at the MK subreddit, we have started a weekly thread to get the best question, a super chat. Oh, man, what a question this is. How do you avoid passing on your family dysfunction to your child? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I do not have a good answer for you on this one. And I, this one keeps me up at night to the point where uh, I am terrified. One thing I have been cognizant of is... Um, like, for example, my mom, you know, spanking would be a very euphemistic way to describe what happened to me. I got the shit beat out of me. There's just no way I'll do that. I don't, I'm not, not going to do that. Not going to do that even a little bit. Um, because, A, there's a lot of literature to basically suggest that what happens is your children look to you at various vulnerable ages um, as your protector in life, um, the people that will bring them security, among other things. But that is a key role that you play if if you hit them. And again, every child's going to be a little bit different. Every situation's going to be a little bit different. There might be some of you who got spanked, who it didn't affect you in certain ways, blah, blah, blah. Okay, again, I, I give credence to the and, and value to the differentiation of human experiences. At the same time, there is enough of a trend or for people who were hit enough of a consistent basis that they develop all kinds of pathologies and problems later in life that they then have to go to see someone to undo if they can even undo them at all, depending on the severity of the case. Not handing that to her generationally. But, dude, there's going to be all kinds of things that are bad about me that even if I try to limit them um, on some level, I'm going to pass on. Maybe nervousness, maybe um, a certain way of talking to people, maybe what did you ask? Your family dysfunction. Um, yeah, all those things. And then to what extent is my nervousness? To what extent is my anxiety? To what extent is how I deal with that um, 
part of your world. I mean, also like, have you ever seen like these kids who have like fat parents and then the kids are fat? Like, they're 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 getting, uh, I won't say punished per se, but they're being put on life's back foot, not the front foot, by virtue of their parents' unhealthy relationship with food that is now being passed down. The things that are observable and um, highly correctable. I try to really be conscious of, um, you know, making sure my daughter gets enough education through me. Like, how much am I am I teaching her? How much discipline am I instilling? Does she do what she is told? What or how how does she stack up relative? And I, this is not always a contest, but I mean, you know, trying to measure, you know, um, uh, those kinds of things, those kinds of either social behaviors with others or learned behaviors with me or information retention. I'm always trying to work on those kinds of things. But the big thing I've been about is. Um, you know, doing the best I can be to be a parent and then really trying to be cognizant of what were things that either I didn't like as a kid, which is less of a question, but more of what were things that happened to me as a kid that made me bad as an adult? Let me root those out and try and steer her outside of that. And one of them, among others, there's some other ones as well. Um, One of them is that I just will not hit her. I can't do it. Um, I'm so opposed to it. Uh, about that role I play, because again, I don't know if I finished my point, but the the research suggests that the kids will see you as the protectors, and if the protectors are hitting them, then they can they begin to get in certain cases distrustful or rejection from that parent you know, internally to them, um, because they can no longer trust that the parent will do that to them, or you'll get the opposite where they'll be like absurdly obsequious to them, uh, just as put off ever being hit. Um, which doesn't really actually create discipline and more just lives off of fear. And again, you know, you should have a healthy respect for your parents. Everyone's, I think everyone grew up with stories like that. And I don't, by the way, this isn't to say like, oh, parents who hit their kids don't care about them. Dude, I think my mom loved me, but she also beat the fuck out of me. So I guess the best I can tell you is I am cognizant that I'm probably passing on some dysfunction and pathology. Probably. I don't know that I can in all ways eliminate that. Um, but the bigger questions of socialization with others, about manners, about um, creating good habits, about trying to keep her happy and active. What are, the, what are the sort of things that are common in a child's life at the various stages that they need for happiness and growth and proper development? I try to make sure I provide the opportunity to have those things and try to really weed out and really think and, and do, do some you know, honest exploring about uh, what made me fucked up. Let's 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 make a note of that. Let's talk to an expert about how we can not pass that on, which we have done in various ways, and let's not do that. But am I going to pass on something bad to her? I think it is inevitable. Is your Spanish good enough to interview Canelo? Um, probably. I learned Mandarin, and it was cool to see Helen Yi interview Zhang Weili in the same manner. Well, I don't know how good her Mandarin is. My Spanish is probably not good enough for that. My Spanish is good enough to have basic conversations. You know, I can order places. I can get myself around. I can, you know, make small talk. Um, you know, it's a little bit, about a little bit more than that. I, I'm being a little bit uh, derogatory in my own Spanish. But it's, you know, yes, I could interview him. But not as not nearly as well as I think I could in English. Uh, how directly applicable do you think Dutch-style kickboxing is to MMA? I think some of it is, some of it isn't. Overeem has famously said that Dutch kickboxing is dead. Do you agree with that? Um, as a culturally significant force, maybe, probably. Um, 
I'd have to know what he means by that. Uh, in the context of those prepping for the military slash LE, I guess you mean law enforcement, what would you consider to be strong enough in regards to the compound lifts? Squat, bench, and deadlift overhead press. Overhead press, I'm not sure how they measure it. I think you want to be one to one and a half times on your bench. Um, I don't know what the numbers are for squat and deadlift. Is it 2x, 3x, something like that? I mean, 3x would be a lot for deadlift. Like if you weighed 100 pounds, well... Yeah, if you're 150, I don't think people can expect you to deadlift 450. That's a little bit unreasonable, although obviously people do that. For sure with bench, it's you want to be able to bench your body weight maybe one and a half. I want to say with deadlift, 2x. I'm not sure about squat or overhead press. Um, my over Your overhead press is going to be obviously you know sub 1x. It's going to be a percentage of your body. Well, not necessarily. Some people can be strong as fuck, but for most people... It's obviously going to be much less than your bench, and it's going to be the weakest of all your lifts in terms of the weight total in almost all likelihood. And overhead press for me has always been um, you know, quite difficult. I mean, you're working against gravity standing. You don't even have the benefit of the bench to uh, back you up. I'm sure you can Google this. Matt Wenning is the guy you want to um, follow on this. Matt Wenning trains like uh, law enforcement, firefighters, military personnel on using the compound lifts to really make them better at their jobs. Uh, Matt Winning is probably the strongest guy, one of the one of the truly strongest guys out of the whole West Side movement. Um, he's got a great Patreon. He's got a great YouTube channel. He's got a great Instagram. He's built like a fucking tank. So go check out Matt Winning. He's got a lot of stuff specific for those occupations. How do you think the prime condit stacks up against the elite strikers of today? Can he compare? Sure. Uh, a little bit more blood and guts. He doesn't have quite as many like, um, he's, you know, I don't think he's quite the same sort of fake and faint guy. He's a little bit more, um, you know, combination shooter. But yeah, I think he'd be okay. Did I see the Batman trailer? I did. It looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. I'm more curious about Black Adam than I am the new Batman, but yeah, it looked good. Was Rodriguez or Rodriguez sub uh, definitely underplayed because of promotional push for Dern? Watched twice, once with Mute, and don't think Rodriguez got her credit. Oh, sub defense. Yeah, her sub defense was on point. I mean, when you're that deep into the spider web of an operator like Mackenzie Dern and you live to see the other side of it, you're, you have to be, remember, you have to make a bunch of good, smart, small decisions. You can't make a big decision to sit up or push off or whatever. Every decision you make has to be a small and calculated one just to stop the bleeding or you know put yourself in a slightly more advantageous position. Like you're not gonna go from, in all likelihood, from like really bad to all of a sudden really good. Right, you're gonna go from really bad to slightly less bad to slightly less version of that to like, okay, it's bad, but it's not as bad as it was to lukewarm and slowly work your way if you can, or at least hold the line at one to not get it any worse. You're not gonna take one big movement out of it. Um, and so that kind of consistent decision making, even if McKenzie was ahead of her technically, is pretty pretty adept. Thoughts on Ali? Do you mean Ali Abdelaziz? I don't know what you mean. Breaking fight news to put pressure on other fighters. 
He seems to do this to get fighters, high-ranked fighters. Um, I don't know if he's... I, I haven't seen him break fight news. Usually I see him stating his opinion. I don't know what fight news he broke. Um, but, you know, as a general rule, obviously telling his clients they shouldn't go on certain shows, I think, is not a practice you can defend. Uh, but a manager... Again, I'm not sure what you're talking about here because I don't, I, don't, I don't see all this. But... Um, if he's really getting out there and saying, you know, this guy doesn't deserve to be ranked here, or he's being inflammatory, but he's not otherwise, you know, trying to act like a news outlet, I don't really have any problem with that. I mean, he should be able to say things that put pressure on other fighters to take fights with his clients. I would, you might even want a manager to do that, to be active out there, you know, cracking the whip. Um, you know, there are some things about his practices that I think that you're perfectly willing to criticize. Again, I don't know about the fight news breaking part. But in the way in which he like lobbies for his clients, including taunting opponents on Twitter, um, I don't have a problem with that. If you were a new UFC fighter, w would you hire a major manager like Ali the Kawas, Adi Attar, or would you try to go at an independent? What are the advantages of having one of these people rep you? Um, it can depend. Like if you have, if your manager has a good relationship with UFC. You might get a quicker, you know, uh, signing. You might get more favorable placement on contender series or, you know, whatever the case. Um, there's a lot of things that could come with that benefit. However, I tend to think that long term, I don't know. Like John Nash has been pretty clear about this. If you study the numbers and the payment and the emails that show managers dealing with, um, with, uh, UFC matchmakers, and again, this is not going to be universally true. This is not going to be in every case true, but there was enough of a thread where, you, the, if 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 it if it was true that um, a management group could meaningfully adjust your money by being associated with them, it would show up somewhere, and it really doesn't. Is his contention? I tend to think he's probably mostly right about that. There might be some other benefits that come with it, but um, like. Can you draw a straight line between higher salaries related to relationship with uh, any particular manager? I don't know that someone has done that, has done that analysis in any kind of full-throated way. Partly we don't have the numbers to, but the general, you're asking me what I would do is I would, I would, I would just hire a lawyer and then um, have them read your contract and then as necessary, you know, um, advocate on your behalf and that's it. That's what I would do. Uh, dream military job. What would that have been? I don't know. Something other than what I did. <laughs> I didn't like artillery that much. With the rumor of Zabit making a comeback, what do you think of his chances are becoming champ? I still think slim. How much power do you think Dana actually holds and how much is he a public figure to justify and take the blunt of criticism for the higher-ups? So this part's harder to know. I tend to think that there is much more decision-making that happens outside of his purview or at least in conjunction with others than is publicly revealed. At the same time, I think that, A, yes, of course he can be a public figure, but more than that, his fingerprint on the company, at least in the culture and, and, and certainly other practices as well, is it's, it's, it's woven into the fabric of that organization.
Um, I've heard you say a large portion of UFC fighters are right wing. Why do you think there is a correlation between fighting and being right wing? I would say combat sports more generally, there's a correlation of that. So I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of explanations for that. One, I think a lot of them have a counterculture kind of vibe uh, and attitude and, and worldview, which has always been true. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's, that's always been the case. And look, at you're fighting for in a cage for a living. Like, you're going to get characters who have a different way of looking at life, no matter what political persuasion it may end up being. But I think that push against the mainstream um, or push against, um, you know, socially, how do I say this? Social forces that seek out compliance, they tend to have a rejection of that. And inside right wing, like when I've asked like right wing people inside the combat sports community about why they hold the views that they do, some of it is upbringing, um, which again, it's fine. But a lot of it tends to be something like you know, I believe in a world where um, my method of success should be the one writ large, right? Where whatever success you attain, you went out there and you did it on your own. Like there's a there's a lot of this Horatio Alger up from the bootstraps kind of um, view of things where I'm the master of my destiny. I'm certainly in control. And listen, I actually believe there's a lot of benefit to that worldview, even when it's not even true. Actually, especially when it's not even true, people who have real pronounced self-belief, I think they will go further than people who don't uh, as a general rule. And I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to empower yourself to solve, um, if not all of your problems, as many problems as reasonably can be done given the circumstances. Dude, like that, that's a real thing people should think more about. I think it is it is in short supply and I understand that completely. I've, I have seen people live out that ideal and what it has done for them and I'm a believer However, you know, trying to get people to think that way if they don't have that natural orientation is virtually impossible, number one. And number two, it's totally impractical as a method of thinking about how broadly society should be organized, policed, and structured. It's deeply unrealistic for any wider purview. If you want to use that worldview as a way to move yourself through the world, by all means, I do not dissuade you or even to encourage others. Understanding though, this is not, it's really not scalable, which is why the people who can do it are quite, um, um, you know, impressive to say the least. And so I think they take this kind of like up from the bootstraps, Horatio Alger worldview, and then just ascribe a certain politics to it, which aligns with um, a lot of what the right wing says, which is why, again, I don't think that this by itself, that attitude is in any way poor other than as a prescription for how just things should be. So you take in these counterculture elements against societal, not cohesion per se, but pressure, right? So you get these like really like left wing, you know, academic know-it-alls who want to police language and whatnot. I think they don't like that at all. Um, I think that they're, they, uh, again, they've also got this like outside of any kind of mainstream element. I think a lot of young men were radicalized by social media um, generally, whether they're involved in combat sports or not, whether that's YouTube or Facebook or whatever the case may be. Um, I think there's, uh, you know, we've talked about the failure of modern media and whatnot, but really I think what it comes down to is the common thread I have found is that when you ask them about it, um, they give a story about personal perseverance that they think a a, a societal uh, framework can be arranged, and that's just like absurdly ignorant and and not even 
I don't, I don't even know how I, it's a great idea to believe. It's a great idea to share. That's a different question about technocratically around what kind of insights do we use to guide national defense or tax policy. And that's where everything falls apart. Um, which isn't to say you couldn't come to an answer, like the only answers to that are my beliefs. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I don't orient myself through, hey, what's worked for me? We should just make rules in conjunction with that because I'm, you know, because I've achieved things that I think are impressive or, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, imagine I was saying that. Um, I don't, I don't think you can actually, you can't develop a system of, of social order based upon that. Uh, Corey Anderson claims to have made more money in Bellator in two fights in his UFC career. If true, do you think this will make him higher level fighters test the market as well? No. Did you watch the interview with Vittori Costahead with Okamoto? It's hilarious and Vittori comes across as the rational one. I think he is the rational one. Dude, Vittori is going to, Vittori's 27. That dude's going to be real good. Do you think a reason fighters haven't unionized is because they are largely, here we go, right wing? No. Perhaps they are anti-union or value investor corporation rights best interest over their own. No, but it goes back to the same instinct. The aha. I am the guy. Every, all of them think they have the lottery ticket. Which, by the way, you have to have if you want to do that occupation. I don't begrudge them that. Dude, like they got to get into whatever mindset they got to get into to get into that cage. And some jabroni like me policing that, it's not my... I don't have shit to say about that. I don't have a thing at all. My only issue becomes when you take that very narrow psychological and um, in, frankly impractical me but valuable to them method of competition prep and then ascribe that to a m infinitely more complex set of broader social problems. Um No question, I just want to show some support and love from uh, someone from Great Britain. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it. Any chance of a legal uh, deep analysis video with John Nash? Yeah, I'm sure I'll do one here soon enough. Similar to the fighter pay breakdown videos. You would be great. Yeah, I'm sure I, I will get back to it all in good time. Uh, anything you like to clarify regarding Ariel? Not that I'm aware of. Are knees an underutilized attack in MMA? Whole games and styles in Muay Thai are built focusing on knees, both long knees and in the clinch. Yes, but perhaps, like, I think there could be a modest change to how things go, but you got to remember, if you throw a knee and you're not good at it, or you've not really developed it as a strong part of your game, you're going to get taken down. Um, and I think a lot of people just don't, and also a lot of people don't want to hang out in certain ranges. Have I been watching any Marvel shows on Disney Plus like WandaVision? No. The Falcon and Winter Soldier. Dude, I tried. The fucking Falcon can't fight for shit, man. He loses every fight. Get this fucking guy out of here. I like him as an actor. Anthony Mackie, I think he's great. He, uh, he had a fun movie I saw recently. Um, Synchronicity or something like that. Some some sci-fi movie that's set in New Orleans is good. Well, it's okay, it's, but it's fun. But like... And I like the Falcon's character, but he fucking loses all... Dude can't win a fist fight of his life depending on it. Loki, I saw the whole thing. I loved it. The what-ifs, I've not started. Um, I think that's almost all of these. Let's see. If not, I will get the very end of it. Yeah, here we go. 
There's a few more of these. Jesus Christ. I'm going to try and get through these as quick as I can. Here we go. Should Costa be forced to forfeit some of his Vittori? Yes, he will lose 20%. Thoughts on the Dave Chappelle controversy. I retweeted something yesterday. You guys ever heard of Ben Burgess? He used to be a professor at Rutgers. I think he gave up on academia because academia has given up on everyone else, but um, at least m- much many parts of it. Um, he's a very left-wing professor. There's probably going to be a lot of things that you know some of you won't like to hear, but he did write a book that I think would interest, I think, a broad um, um, array of folks. I don't have it in front of me. It's a small book. In fact, I recommend it strongly. It's about 100 pages. It's more of a working paper than anything else, but it's really good. Um, it's called Canceling Comedians While the World Burns. And basically, it's an argument about... Um, you know, where moral insight comes from, where moral clarity comes from, and what should be moral and practical priorities about um, addressing broader needs of society, particularly for aggrieved, um, uh, potentially oppressed groups, and what it means to, you know, Lee Fang, who's a reporter at The Intercept, was pointing out, like, they're pulling out everything from this fucking bill that could potentially benefit um, working class folks in this country and there's no protest over it but you know there's a bunch of protests over a Dave Chappelle comedy special although even then like the protests were overstated to be quite honestly uh, quite honest with you there were there was not much to it but um, it's an argument about moral prioritization and uh, you know if you're focusing on Dave Chappelle while community college money is being yanked from the budget you 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 have a deeply misplaced set of um, priorities Uh, I totally agree, Luke. Most people who say you are just as good at 30 or 40 or 50 have not been training hard for decades and are just gaslighting themselves. Dude, if you, I'm not some hard charger in like that, but if you train like I did in my 20s, parts of my 30s, I don't know how you could even rationally think you can do that again. Like, I, no fucking way. Would you say anti-Semitism is rife in MMA? Of course, the basis of QAnon is the old anti-Semitic blood libel trope. Do you think the followers of MMA are aware of this? Anti-Semitism? I don't. I mean, I'm sure there is some. Of course, it, it's a. It's a. It, there's more. It, it's a problem anywhere. But um, as like a uniquely bad. Well, you've got a lot of those neo-Nazi MMA clubs in Europe. But like among high-level competitors, um, I don't see it that much. But that's a better question for someone who is either paying attention in closer detail, or you know, you should ask somebody who is Jewish and might have a better understanding of um, and a better radar for some of that stuff. Um, I'm not going to be a great guy to ask that. Why do you think Gokan Saki didn't make a successful transition to MMA? I don't think his style was that conducive for it, and he was beat up by the time he got to UFC. Uh, I'm Rob Thomas, and I work in HR. Luke's two worst enemies. (laughs) But seriously, have you ever dealt with imposter syndrome? And if so, uh, how do you deal with it? Yeah, every time, every time I come on this microphone, I deal with imposter syndrome, right? If you don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's the idea that whatever you have, you have somehow, you know, um, uh, you have overstated your qualification and you're not good enough for this and you don't deserve it. When in fact, you, you may just be downplaying how ready for it you actually are or whatever. Yes, I deal with it all the time. It's why I always put in disclaimers, as many ones as I can when I do breakdowns. It's why I try to be honest about, or in, to the extent I'm even aware of them, any shortcomings I have in my rational assessment of things or whatever you want to call my assessment of things. I try to be as honest about 
listen, the best thing you can do with an audience, this is the one thing I do think is quite true. You've got to tell them the truth and you've got to tell them about your, and be, be as honest as you can be about your shortcomings. Um, they have to know what you know and they probably already do, but when you acknowledge it, they can learn how to work with some of your strengths and to work around some of your weaknesses and have a, actually a better bond if you if you can really deliver on that promise. But a lot of people just seem unable to, uh, and I'm sure I struggle with this as well, but you gotta really, you have to tell the audience the truth about who you are. And uh, I think they'll appreciate that in the long run and um, it gives them a better sense about how to make informed choices about what you're telling them. All right, all right, no mas, right? Thumbs up on the stream. Thank you for watching. I appreciate you. I went like an hour and 40 minutes today, right? Not so bad. So uh, I will put this up on podcasts and um, yeah, email me, lukethomasnews at gmail.com if you got any questions.